Being the Worst, Episode 5, recorded live, Thursday, August 30th, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsmen. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdulin. In this episode, Carrie and Renat introduce the concept of aggregates and their importance to the design of distributed systems. Then, they describe another way to express the story of an aggregate through the use of specifications and the testing of use cases. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Hello, and welcome back to the Being the Worst podcast. This is Carrie. I'm here with Renat. Good morning, Renat. Morning, guys. Well, good time of the day. Yeah, good time of the day. It's evening for me and morning for Renat. We get it all confused. Um, today, we're going to get started. We're going to talk about specifications and use cases and how to test them. But before we get into that, we're not going to get into episode four's homework because I didn't have a chance to do it yet. So we're not going to talk about that. But we have been getting some feedback on the site, which we appreciate. And uh, some of the questions are revolving around, can we get into this specific aspect or that specific aspect? Or when are you going to get into that aspect? And fortunately, most of them, we, we do plan on getting to those. But we're just not ready to go to that level of detail just yet. We're starting again from the, the foundational stuff because distributed systems have a lot of different elements to them. And in this particular approach, we're, we're using DDD and aggregates and the application services that use them. And we use those aggregates to do a lot of hosting of the domain logic in there. And that's one of the main pieces uh, and differences between maybe a database-based approach. And so, Renat, can you give us a little more detail on where we're starting and when we're going to get to some of those things that people have been asking us about? So this journey uh, with the Being the Worst podcast, uh, it's like it doesn't, we don't have a really detailed uh, sequence of the episodes we're planning. However, in the long term, we're planning to cover everything that was explained in the study map. For the short term, I think the approach would be first to finish uh, with uh, the first building block of distributed systems, LLOCAD, uh, that's application services uh, that host aggregates. So in this episode, we're covering uh, use cases and specifications. Then we we'll probably will go deep, slightly deeper into how uh, this is wired inside an application service, how you're passing, uh, for example, domain services to inject some additional logic, uh, how you test this all together. Then uh, I'm planning to have a quick episode about using Git, uh, just because, first, Git is extremely important for the distributed development, and second, uh, core principles of uh, Git management and like uh, how it deals with commits and trees. Uh, it actually has a lot of parallels with how event streams are, essentially how you can think about uh, event streams, how you can think about merging event streams, how you can think about replica replicating and cloning event streams. Because uh, git commit uh, history is can be perceived as event stream. Git merging strategies can be uh, linked to how we deal with occasional connected systems and how they deal with any changes, with concurrent changes on the server. And this whole git cloning process and rebuilding of working copy it's uh, similar to how we replicate event streams between uh, different deployments and how we maybe rebuild projections from there. After diving uh, into Git and event sourcing, I plan to spend a little bit more time uh, about actually explaining how to deal with that in production, how to deal with the changes, 
like uh, value objects, how you change state, how you version events, how you evolve aggregates, how which serialization strategies you employ. And just like uh, in a few episodes, I hope to get uh, to the point where our sample will actually be almost exactly matching the kind of detail and uh, level we have at uh, Locat's own code bases. If we manage to do that, this will prove that actually the most complicated and involved piece of uh, domain-driven design uh, with uh, event sorting and partial secures is not actually that complex. Because when you start from the basic and you cover it like in small incremental episodes, you already get to the production code. And after, war, after we finish uh, this part of the journey, uh, we'll move to the other building blocks of bounded context, uh, which are usually used in addition to the aggregates. These additional building blocks are projections, tasks, and ports. They uh, don't actually deal with that much with the behaviors, deal with the uh, event normalization into persistent views so that this stuff can be used in the client, or they deal with continuously running processes and with tasks, or they deal with connecting multiple bounded contexts together. But we'll get to that later. Okay, cool. That sounds good, Renat. Um, also, we wanted to mention there's an existing uh, user group, discussion group, uh, LOCAD has. Uh, can you mention what that is for and what, what uh, some people can use that for out-of-band communications if they want? We have a user group at LOCAD. Initially, it was uh, dedicated to forecasting technologies, to the sales stuff. But since it got com- completely hijacked by the LOCAD Secure community, <laughs> so now we're just keeping it for the sake of uh, discussing LOCAD-specific approaches of uh, dealing with uh, distributed systems, maintaining them, and answering some specific questions. Uh, there is also, and this link to this group will be posted within the episode, uh, and also there is awesome DCQRS group, uh, which represents quite a different and interesting mix of various approaches to using DCQRS. Uh, and CQRS. It's like I might not agree with some of them, but uh, this is uh, really interesting stuff, and I would recommend to keep track of this user group as well. We'll post it in the episode notes. Sounds good. All right, well, why don't we uh, jump right into specifications and use cases, and uh, the sample that we will be discussing and referring to this time is, as you might expect, it is in the E005 folder of the samples on GitHub, and it'll also be linked, so uh, here we go. Okay, so... Uh, in this episode, I would like to talk a bit more about the specifications. It's another way of representing uh, our logic captured with aggregates. Uh, however, before we go deeper in this direction, I would like to introduce a few refactorings that happened between uh, after the episode 4 and before this episode 5. Uh, so if you open uh, episode 5 sample, uh, this time there are there is not only one uh, file, but there are three files. Uh, one file, uh, which is factory.cs, would be a slightly refactored factory implementation from the previous episode. In this uh, factory implementation, uh, we've done a few small things. First, uh, we took the factory journal info from the factory implementation and renamed it into changes. It's just, uh, that's the usual name that we use in production. Then we also took state variables, which were declared uh, on the factory implementation class, and moved them to a separate class. This mm-hmm. class is called factory state. 
putting state variables in a separate class is a helpful trick uh, because you can um, mark these state variables as properties that can't be actually modified outside of the uh, factory state class. And this helps to ensure that you modify factory state only through the events. And obviously, this factory state class, uh, it had public mutate uh, method, which is actually passing event to one of the event announced uh, inside the factory uh, events. Uh, so with factory state, we have uh, a nice neat class, which exposes some uh, properties and which can be modified by passing events in. Oh, and I was just going to say, because I just got done rereading uh, sample four. So for people following along, if you if you're looking at sample four and then you look at sample five, after you finish reading program.cs and sample four and then look inside of this factory.cs file that Renat's referring to, you'll see the obvious parallels between that factory journal that used to be called, I think, factory journal or yes. something like that. And it's been renamed to changes, but it's serving the same purpose, the place to write stuff down that happens. And then those variables in sample four that were just a bunch of list variables that were keeping track of the events that happened, those have been moved into uh, the this factory state uh, variable inside this file as well. So not a whole bunch new. It's just starting. things are starting to move from one giant blob into their own uh, respective places. Yes. And also... Uh, this state variable, it can be uh, added a constructor which takes innumerable of events, just as an essentially a sequence of events, and it uh, applies them to this state variable uh, in a sequence. If we uh, take compose any uh, list of uh, events and we pass it to the factory state, it will uh, reconstruct and rebuild all the state variables as it goes because it will send them to the mutate method, and mutate method sends them uh, to one of the announced inside factory methods, which actually change the state variables. Oh, okay. So that's where that mutate method is is in the... It, that's where... Oh, I see it. There it is. Now it makes sense. So in, in sample four, you had that... The magic of the dynamic call has been placed inside of this mutate method now, and that's where mm-hmm. that's where the announcing happens. Okay, cool. Yes. So in essence, factory state is a class that holds... Uh, state of an aggregate, uh, and it is uh, read-only. Well, we are trying to keep it read-only outside of this factory state, uh, but it can be changed only by passing events through the constructor or by calling the date method. Yeah, and, I, and we haven't really gotten into you know what an aggregate is or anything like mm-hmm. that, but just for the sake of this discussion, what, we'll I'm assuming factory right is an aggregate or something. <laughs> okay. Yes. In previous uh, episode, we were talking about factory implementation. Uh, right now, I want to introduce a new concept called uh, aggregate. So, aggregate is a class that holds, uh, a, like, that has probably some unique uh, name, but we'll get uh, to the names and identities a bit later. And this uh, aggregate class is called an aggregate for two reasons. First reason uh, is that it imagines a pack of berries on one branch. Mm-hmm. And this pack of berries, like uh, they can, like each berry can be individual, but they're connected uh, to one branch, and there is one entry point. So uh, that is can be called uh, aggregate, because we have a bunch of distinct uh, berries connected together. Uh, in the object-oriented world, uh, aggregate is a class that inside of it holds uh, references to bunch bunch of uh, other objects, and uh, if this uh, root class dies. If this aggregate class dies, uh, then everything inside it uh, dies as well. 
Uh, we can call this factory implementation aggregate also one more reason, because it, it is an aggregate of behaviors. Uh, like when we were talking, when we were doing domain modeling exercise, uh, we explained a stories that can happen to this factory. Like, for example, we can assign employee to a factory uh, that we can transfer shipment to Cargo Bay. Uh, these are behaviors uh, which we will call, also call uh, use cases. And uh, these uh, use cases, they are grouped together. Technically, we can have one factory uh, aggregate, like one uh, aggregate implementation per use case. But that will be too fragmented and that will be relatively complex to, uh, to implement because uh, some use cases, they, some behaviors, some commands, uh, their execution uh, depends on uh, what was the outcome of other commands. And we find it uh, in this domain modeling approach to put these commands together on one class so that they will have a shared internal state of some variables uh, which they can modify together by pushing events. Uh, so once again, aggregate is both a logical concept and uh, an implementation class. As a logical concept, it sees just a group of behaviors and also a group of objects that these behaviors modify and deal with. And uh, these behaviors are linked to together uh, by the shared lifetime and by shared accessibility. Shared lifetime means that generally when factory dies, everybody inside the factory is supposed to be either fired or terminated <laughs> as well. Well, it depends on the secrecy level of the factory. Right. Uh, in Soviet Russia, when factory dies, uh, all employee workers are terminated as well, of course. <laughs> I think you should speak the rest of the podcast in that particular accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Really funny. The factory will die. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, now, okay. And we're not going to get into, yeah. just tell me, because uh, I don't think you wanted to get into these details, but just note that something that's still not clear and because I realize that in DDD the aggregate and aggregate roots and all these things are so important and critical mm -hmm. I always struggle with figuring out what are my aggregates how do I know something is aggregate versus something that goes inside of the aggregate and we're not we're probably not going to get into that today but for now I'm just accepting the fact that when I learned that stuff factory was going to be a good idea to be an aggregate in this example mm -hmm. okay well uh, technically Aggregate is something that uh, has shared uh, behavior. It's something that uh, has shared lifetime. And it's also something that you can talk to, that you can talk about. And in the real world, like you can, uh, when we were talking, for example, about a factory, mm -hmm. uh, you can talk about the entire factory or you can talk about the individual worker. However, level of detailization, it depends on actual implementation and actual focus of the story. In this case, uh, for the introductory purposes, we don't have like that much logic, and it's uh, like the entire logic will uh, still fit in one aggregate and will make a coherent story. However, if we were going much deeper in the factory modeling process, then chances are that it would be really important to model not only the factory aggregate, but also uh, individual worker aggregates and also car parts aggregates and like car aggregates. Is it kind of like yes. a namespace for behavior, like common behaviors that you group together? Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 absolutely. Okay. Exactly. Uh, it's uh, common behaviors and we group them uh, like subcertain behaviors together in such a way that the resulting class would not be too large for us to read, to manage, to understand. And we also group these behaviors uh, in a way that, like these behaviors, they emit events, 
and it's more comfortable to deal with uh, certain behaviors when they are clustered on one, when they are uh, aggregated on one class, and hence they are half shared state. So technically, we can move entire logic of an application, uh, like for example, look at billing or subscription management system into one humongous aggregate. But it will be a huge class that is painful to read. Or on the vice versa, we can break uh, the entire logic into really, really fine-grained aggregates. But these aggregates will need to talk, like they will need some shared information that they can't access outside of each other, and the application will be too chatty. So when thinking about the aggregates uh, as a group, as aggregation of behaviors and internal state, uh, we're str- uh, like for each specific case, we're trying to find a fine balance uh, in such a way that this aggregate will be convenient to talk about, uh, and that it will have sufficiently uh, large number of behaviors inside it, and that it will make a coherent story. Got it. And in this particular implementation, because the methods that respond to the events that that mutate announces, what you just said makes a lot of sense because the methods that respond to the events are also inside of this aggregate class. or Mm -hmm. Well, they're inside this file anyway. They're inside the factory state. But... In other systems, the there's going to be there could be other aggregates that also respond to these events too. So it's not necessarily grouping all of the, I guess, methods together that care about this event. It's just in this example, it happens to be convenient that they all are related. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, also, one extremely important characteristic of an aggregate is that it is a unit of atom- atomicity. Uh, that it is consistency boundary. When we do something inside an aggregate, then all the changes, uh, all the events that are produced as a result of this change, they either come out together or if there's something fails, like nothing comes out together. So, for example, if our transfer shipment to Cargo Bay uh, involves, for example, uh, two events being published, shipment transfer to Cargo Bay and curse word uttered, we, uh, inside this aggregate, we guarantee transactionality of this operation. But it's atomic. It either happens to completely together or it fails. Uh, however, if we were to split uh, these uh, aspects of an application in different aggregates, uh, first, then we would not be able to guarantee this atomicity uh, by default. We will need to introduce some complex compensating behavior. And second, there will be time delay between uh, each of these events are being processed. So inside an aggregate, uh, aggregate for us is also a cozy one room like one factory, where you can shout and everybody will be immediately notified about the changes. When we're talking about, for example, two distinct factories, whatever happens inside one factory will not be immediately known as a fact inside the other factory. You can't rely on these changes uh, being coherent. You can't rely on these changes uh, being actually even correct. That will be one of the important aspects of the distributed systems that we're talking about. Like, you have to imagine your uh, domain space, your entire application system, as a group of disconnected elements. Like, maybe different people or different factories. Whatever happens inside one person's head or inside one factory, uh, it's atomic, it's immediate. Uh, Anything that is uh, inside this uh, factory has absolute and correct knowledge about anything else that is inside the same factory. However, all our knowledge about our other factories uh, is not uh, immediate, is not absolutely consistent. It is our perception of what happened now inside of our factories. Uh, this is because 
uh, we connect these elements through the messages. And messages are, uh, in essence, eventually, they deliver information eventually consistently. It'll eventually deliver information. However, between uh, the moment that information is delivered and between the moment something actually happened, there can be a time delay. When it's outside of this atomic consistency boundary. Well, yes. Well, so, so in factory.cs and sample 5, the factory state class that has those, those uh, three methods in there, a uh, list of employee names, ship, shipment waiting to be unloaded, those are the things that you're saying right now. Those, those things are guaranteed within this consistency boundary to either all happen or not happen. Period. Yes. But anything yes. that cares about these events outside of this factory state, it's anyone's guess as to if they happened or not. Well, yeah. Well, in essence, like uh, if something happened, eventually the event will be delivered. And usually this delivery would, would be within like uh, either millisecond or maybe minutes. It depend, uh, depends on the topology and implementation of the system. But it might take some time. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the uh, one additional reason for picking like the specific shape of an aggregate, how it will group uh, behaviors, and hence uh, because of the grouping of behaviors, it groups uh, events it produces, and also the state variables that are linked to these events. It's like one additional reason for that. It's uh, because it's convenient to group these specific behaviors so that they will deal with each other in absolutely consistent mode. Right, so those things that you really have to absolutely guarantee are all going to happen or not happen are the things that are going to be good candidates to make it mm-hmm. inside of this state class. Yes. Uh, once again, uh, getting gut feeling of how this uh, practically works, uh, we'll get to that later. Also, we'll get to the uh, other ways of sharing information in an eventually consistent way or compensating for that or like doing some uh, rollbacks. However, this is... Just to be fair, uh, this eventual consistency and uh, this need to deal with uh, elements in uh, occasional connected world uh, is one of the drawbacks of the distributed system. Because if, for example, you were using database to store your aggregates, uh, then the database would ensure that the changes are serializable and transactional all across the database. So the, the database would act as entire uh, aggregate holder for us. Of course, uh, in addition to being simpler, this would also have the side effects that you can't scale, uh, you wouldn't be able to scale your database to hold millions of aggregates all communicating and changing together. Right, because so you'd be trading, be, yeah, trading off yes. sort of that elastic scalability, relatively inexpensive elastic scalability for convenience. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So uh, once again, like this approach that we're talking about, uh, aggregates with event sourcing, it's just one of the approaches. One, the other approach that has been valid for uh, dozens and dozens of years, and it's still uh, being used in companies around the world, well, it's like the major approach, is using the databases to hold uh, state of the business logic and then uh, writing some, uh, for example, even transactional scripts would work. Uh, writing some procedural code to capture the behaviors. However, in my own experience, I found that with all the things that we've learned about uh, event sourcing and demand-driven design, in in the long run, it's much simpler to uh, code almost any logic using this approach. And this is why in this course, this is why in this uh, podcast, we're focusing only, uh, we were focusing mostly on event sourcing and aggregates implemented with them. Okay. Okay, uh, now enough uh, chit-chatting. Let's get back to the 
<laughs> sample. Uh, and so uh, one more additional uh, refactoring that I introduced between the episodes uh, is uh, adding serializable attribute to all events. Uh, usually, like uh, event implementations, event contracts, uh, they have uh, either serializable or data contract uh, attributes. Uh, for the production purposes, later on, when we get to the serialization concepts, we'll use data contract. But for, for now, it's much easier to use uh, serializable, which works with the .NET binary serializer of .NET. And this is needed for our small unit testing framework here. So I know that I've seen serializable before when we were serializing messages back in episode one, I think. But I don't really know the difference between serializable and the data contract attribute. Do I need to know that now or I don't need to care right now? The basic thing is serializable attribute. Uh, you need to have it on the class and uh, like all the class references uh, in order to use a binary serializer, binary formatter to be exact. Oh, okay. Uh, you need to have a data contract attribute on classes uh, to use uh, data serializers like data contract serializer or use something like uh, protobuf serializer. Is, uh, it's just, so it's just a data contract attribute is a different, it's an attribute you need to use if you want to use a different kind of serialization and not the binary yes. one. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. And also <clears throat> in uh, the sample, we introduce really simple specification framework. Uh, that will be in uh, framework.cs, and we'll get to that uh, a little bit later. Okay. Uh, what is specification? Specification is essentially a story. Uh, it's a story that explains uh, how a certain use case might go. Uh, use case might sound like uh, this example. Uh, given the fact that we don't have any workers in factory, so that's a fresh, uh, fresh started factory. And if we try to assign vendor employee to a factory, then we should expect uh, a failure. Or uh, if we have uh, empty factory and when we're trying to assign fry to a factory, then we, ex we should expect that this fry uh, was successfully assigned to a factory. Or third uh, use case is that if we had fry already assigned to a factory, when we try to assign another fry to a factory, then we should hit a failure because somewhere in the behavior we have a rule that says that only one employee can have uh, like the same name. Uh, so a specification is an uh, explanation of how a specific method can work out uh, under a specific scenario. Uh, and this specific uh, specification uh, is composed usually of three blocks, most common ones. Given, when, then. Uh, given is a set of preconditions. In the event sourcing, uh, this set of preconditions can be expressed by events that happened before. Uh, when, it's the method call that we're actually executing. It's something that we're trying to do. And then uh, is a third block. It's either a set of uh, events that happen as a result of this operation, or it is uh, an exception that is thrown. That's uh, because of the previous episodes. I think that's the first time I've ever heard of, because this given when then terminology, the first time I saw it was when I was looking into BDD. I struggled with that a little bit because, well, it wasn't that hard, but it didn't come naturally to me figuring out what goes and what do I need to care about given when then. But the way you just explained it and looking inside of framework.cs 
and right at the top where it says abstract class factory underscore specs, because you just said it was, you know, given were the events. Well, I know what those are. When these events mm-hmm. happen, given these events happened, and then you said when is stuff that we want to do. Hmm, pretty pretty sure those are commands calling methods. Mm-hmm. And then these events should happen. That's what we're going to test. I now all of a sudden understand this. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, so in essence, uh, a specification uh, is just another way for us uh, to define a behavior. So uh, it's kind of code duplication, but writing this code duplication uh, in really explicit style. Like uh, we have our executable code that runs and hosts behaviors, that implements behaviors. And this code is within the methods that are part of an aggregate. Uh, and we can also, uh, and this code can have multiple execution paths. It can have multiple behaviors. It, oh, I mean, uh, it can have multiple behavioral outcomes. And we can uh, just verify that this code works as expected. Uh, we can write uh, this all this uh, story in a slightly different way, while still keeping it human readable and while still uh, talking and speaking in the same language. So uh, in this specification. Uh, our language is again our commands and events. Uh, given and then is essentially our events, events that happened before and events that we expect out of this uh, change. Uh, when is uh, currently in this episode, uh, we're keeping things simple and we're using methods of an aggregate, which as we've learned before, uh, match uh, exactly to the commands that will be sent. So uh, this language that we spent effort uh, previously to try to capture clearly is still used in the stories. And if you read in the code, you can already read the stories. And the stories will be uh, extremely uh, important for us later because as we learn the aggregate implementations, they can evolve. Uh, You can fine tune them like uh, to have much better performance or you can fine tune them reshuffling completely the implementation to use less memory, or you can introduce new complex behaviors. However, this will not break tests. Because tests, they don't care about the internals of an aggregate. They care only about the public contracts of an aggregate. And public contracts of an aggregate are usually uh, behaviors that we're executing, which are methods, and also events that are linked to the state changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in program.cs... I start uh, by writing a few specifications. Uh, they are written as runnable unit tests and unit tests. So if you have, for example, a Sharper installed or testdriven.net installed, uh, you can actually uh, invoke them in your uh, unit test runner, and they should run. Uh, however, for the sake of simplicity, uh, for somebody who don't, doesn't know uh, what a unit uh, is, who doesn't know yet what a unit testing framework <laughs> is and doesn't want to bother about that, I also wrote a uh, re- uh, really simple, I think it's like 20 lines of code, uh, runner that takes this uh, unit uh, and unit fixtures and runs them inside the console. So if you start the console uh, of the project uh, for the episode 5, you should see some texts. And this text, they actually just a slightly different representation of the code that, I, uh, I w- that was written in the Tycree specifications. So actually, you should, uh, like previously, we were talking about the story, like uh, one day at a factory. That's a story that uh, can happen in reality, and that, for example, uh, grandpa can tell to his uh, grandchildren at the evening. So, okay, here's what happened in our factory today, and here's what I was doing. 
But imagine if uh, kids actually start uh, getting really inquisitive and they want to know what would happen if, once again, what would happen if uh, Red Hood packed some shotgun instead of the pies. Right. So our specifications actually tell uh, obvious, really fine-tuning uh, questions. And a factory aggregate or any other aggregate should provide coherent answers to that story. Uh, so, for example, first specification we have, uh, it's for the method called when transfer shipment to cargo bay. Uh, when I'm structuring my specifications uh, in production, uh, I try to have one class per one method call. And this class is named as when, like when uh, something uh, is supposed to happen. Uh, so uh, I will have uh, one class for per, com uh, per command method on an aggregate. Okay. Uh, and inside this uh, large uh, class that uh, tests this uh, command, I will have mul multiple use cases. This actually will be individual specification elements. Uh, and in this use case, I say, okay, so uh, we're planning to transfer some shipment, but we can have different, like this shipment can be transferred at different states of the factory, uh, at different points. For example, it can be transferred uh, when we didn't have any anybody at the factory. Or it can be uh, transferred if we have had Yoda at the factory to accept shipment, uh, which he should. Or if we <laughs> I'm finally starting to catch on to that. I was joking with you that I missed that, that you were speaking like Yoda in the last episode. And now, now I know to watch for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so... Uh, Specification. So each specification, it's given, given, when, then. It's a small piece of the story that tests coherency of an aggregate. Uh, and these specifications, I'm using, uh, I'm grouping them uh, into a test fixture, uh, so that all specifications in that test fixture uh, will test one method. Okay, so, so the te the test fixtures you're talking about are these things that have the test attribute around the, the methods, right? Yes. Okay. So the an example test fixture is this t uh, public void empty underscore shipment is a text test fixture. Okay. Okay. No. No. Uh, so test fixture is the class that holds it. So when transfer shipment to cargo bay. Oh. Okay. Uh, and uh, this text fixture, uh, based on the class name, we know that we're testing uh, behavior like uh, called transfer shipment to cargo bay. So every single specification which is also a runnable test here, uh, will uh, have when element that has uh, that calls transfer shipment to cargo bay. I see. So, yeah, got it. The test fixture is that wrapper class, and the things with the test attributes are the specifications of what could happen, what are the various things that could happen when you try to call this method. Yes. Cool. Uh, uh, what, what are the various things that could happen uh, given that we have different states set up before? And given like the different parameters that we're passing to this method. Okay, and and on the second one there, just because it's sticking out to me, you mm -hmm. have you know right below the empty shipment one, you have the empty shipment comes to the empty factory. Um, there's no given. Yes. Is there? Well, because uh, as you've mentioned, empty shipment comes to an empty factory. Oh, so, you don't uh, need an event called an empty factory. It just does, it's just not there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just an, an empty factory. I could have said, like, given uh, equals to new uh, array of events, which is empty. I see. We wouldn't really care. Uh, and just to, what's the word, clarify, 
uh, this code uh, can be made slightly more readable, slightly more comprehensible, like even to write and to read. However, this would complicate our uh, simple framework uh, quite by a noticeable margin. So here I erred on the side of the simplicity. So the code is not as pretty as it can be in production, uh, but it's uh, like the implementation of this uh, testing framework is relatively simple. I see. Cool. Uh, so uh, this is how we can actually test our aggregates. Uh, however, there is uh, one additional aspect uh, of this unit tests that you can see. Uh, if you run this test fixtures uh, inside your uh, unit test and unit runner, mm -hmm. or if you run the console, you should actually see stories which are slightly more readable. Uh, so, for example, uh, when I'm uh, launching the console, and the console application is actually hosts a dead simple unit test runner, which is like written in 20 lines code, uh, we will see short stories. And these short stories will uh, be slightly more readable than the code, but they will match exactly to the code. Uh, for example, when we're talking about the use case uh, of empty factory, for this situation when uh, we assign an employee to a factory, then the text will say, use case empty factory, or specification empty factory. Uh, given no events, when assigned employee to factory named Fry, then new worker joins our forces. Uh, or in our use case, uh, Fry is assigned to a factory, uh, given that we already have a Fry. So the, uh, the text reads, given new worker joins our forces Fry, when we assign employee to a factory named Fry, then expect exception, uh, which contains a message name only one employee can have. Uh, right now for the exceptions, I'm picking like the simplest way to test exceptions by uh, checking for the part of the exception text. However, in production, uh, you'll probably not test uh, the comparisons by the message contents since they can be different and they can change. Uh, but we'll use error codes. But we'll get to that later. Okay, uh, and actually, so uh, our specifications are our unit tests for the aggregate for the complicated aggregate behavior, uh, and each method of an aggregate which represents a behavior. Uh, it can be implemented in a really complex way, like there can be multiple checks inside. However, we can break down this uh, uh, simple, I mean, this complex uh, method into multiple uh, unit tests in multiple use cases. And each uh, use case will test a different set, like uh, we'll focus on different aspects of that aggregate and that method. So in essence, we're writing the code twice. Uh, we have really complex implementation, and we can have uh, also a set of code that answers uh, really picky questions about how this implementation might work. Uh, this will allow us later to actually refactor the aggregate while still being sure that we don't break any of the contracts, we don't break any of the behaviors. Uh, that really helps, for example, uh, if you have aggregate that implements customer billing process and you have really complicated uh, billing scheme that says, for, for example, that if customer has under uh, less than 10 euros on his balance or equivalent in any other currency that he might be using, and if his customer is active and if he's being tracked, and if he has invoice that coming uh, in that, uh, for example, has uh, high value enough 
uh, then it, when we try to assign uh, enterprise subscription to him, then we will be able to, then we'll succeed with this enterprise subscription. Otherwise, we'll fail. And this uh, like story might sound slightly complicated for the developers, but actually this story might mean a lot for the business people, that it can, it can be a representation of their business process that they have. Uh, however, as we've learned, like we can take this story, we can uh, find the core elements of the story, so we can find the vocabulary of the story, and this will be our methods and events. And we can capture the story, like uh, execution part of the story inside an aggregate that will uh, contain like maybe really complicated set of statements. And now, as we were discussing in this episode, we can also test and verify coherency of this uh, implementation by writing uh, specific questions, writing specific answers, uh, by writing specific small stories. And as we execute these stories inside the aggregate, uh, we know that the aggregate should uh, provide coherent answers. Otherwise, we assume that one of the refactorings uh, drove the aggregate and saying that it now breaks. <laughs> that is not coherent. Uh, and one additional aspect of specification is that the implementation can be really complex. But the business people, or your, yourself, would still want to see what this aggregate is about without diving into the code. So uh, we make this uh, specification printable. You take a specification, and in this case, you, uh, we're printing it to the console. And we're using a few small tricks, like, for example, uh, our event classes and our command classes later, they will have, like, overridable to string implementations. Uh, we used this before, like, when, for example, uh, taking an entire uh, change log or factory journal of a factory for a day and replaying it and printing it printing it out to the console as human-readable text. That's our audit log for the system. Uh, here we're using uh, the same functionality to actually print the specifications in human-readable way as well. Yeah, I see that. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and later we'll probably uh, cover slightly more involved details on making the specifications even more uh, human-readable. Uh, however, like while uh, publishing the source code for this episode, uh, I will publish, I will uh, introduce a sample of how the specification might look like. Uh, and when you are involved in the development process, sometimes you might need uh, to have somebody sign quality assurance to make sure, like to sign the specif- uh, specifications for your code. They are called sometimes technical specifications. And technical specifications for the behavior can be extremely complicated. But here, if you uh, unit test, if you test your uh, aggregate behaviors using the specifications, and since you can print the specifications out, so at any point in time, you can just take your code base, uh, iterate through all the specifications there, print them out uh, on a sheet of paper, and pass them to your uh, business people. And if they agree with all the specifications, then this means that they actually agree with the unit tests, that, and since unit tests are passing, it means that the business people agree with how aggregate has been implemented. So you see, because of this uh, domain uh, language, because of this coherency, because of this uh, equivalency of code and tests to a certain extent, uh, we already have business people uh, working almost directly with the code. Right, and, and the business people can read the, those readable specifications and then they can look at it and, and be like those grandkids talking to the grandpa saying, if they bring up something, what if this happens and we don't have a test for it? Uh, we just found a gap and we know they can see in English, but we got to go test that. We don't know what happens when that happens. Yes. 
so in essence, we can actually uh, define unit tests. Mm-hmm. As you know, like uh, in the uh, development, uh, probably one of the hardest part uh, of dealing with uh, customers of the development process is uh, getting uh, reproducible uh, problems from them or uh, getting exact specifications from them. But here, like they will get uh, some good, he- uh, will get used to the fact that if they provide their story in the form of given when then, then it will be dead. And as, as long as they use language of the system, uh, then uh, implementing this thing will be dead easy. And we'll know that if we add additional unit tests and we, if we go to this use case, uh, that the aggregate stays insane because we have already an entire test feature set of tests that test other aspects of the uh, aggregate behavior. And to take this uh, aspect even further, imagine, for example, a complex trading system uh, where you can have really, really complicated and involved uh, behaviors and if-then-when scenarios. And the scenarios might be even changing. And you would hate actually to spend time like uh, getting uh, all this stock option trading or I don't know which... uh, possible things that can happen out of the business people. However, instead, you can just, uh, that's, I think, what uh, Greg was doing in one of his projects. Uh, You can set up a simple emulator, uh, simple window that looks like a trading terminal, and you can tell the guys that, okay, so uh, first you set up how the terminal should look like. So you set up given stuff. Uh, Then you write like click on something that is supposed uh, to trigger this thing, and then you set up how the terminal should look like afterwards. So, uh, in fact, this uh, application is just an image with some buttons on it. And when you change something, uh, these buttons just generate events. And then they generate command. And then they generate expectations. And this generated uh, events, command, and then one additional event is actually our unit test. And uh, so we can express specifications not only in the code, but we can also express specifications as uh, some data structures. We can express specifications as a uh, file that holds given events in serialized form, uh, when command, and uh, then events, or then exception in serialized form as well. So in certain cases, uh, let business people compose unit tests for us, like almost directly. Oh, outside of the code. Yes. Hmm. And it's like specification uh, can be expressed multiple ways. Code is just one of them. Hmm. Uh, data is uh, one additional way. Code is more expressive, but data can uh, be easier to get. Uh, one additional note is that there are two ways, general ways to have specification with event sourcing. Uh, one way is when you have when statement expressed as method call. And uh, one additional way is uh, to have a specification uh, in a way that when is actually a command. But since we're discarding command, like we're uh, working around commands for now for simplicity, uh, we have method calls. Later on, when we get to the application services, which actually manage uh, loading the aggregates and which manage uh, passing of commands directly to an aggregate, uh, we'll uh, bring back the concept of commands. For now, like uh, we just remember about the equivalency that a method on an aggregate that is an imperative, uh, it's equivalent of method uh, of method on an aggregate is equivalent of command. 
Yeah, and when when is always associated with the thing we're trying to do. So because methods or commands are statements about or things we're trying to do, the when is always associated with that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm a little bummed because I really didn't intend this evening for you to get me excited about tests and actually wanting to try test test-related, test-driven, whatever you want to call it. Test involved development. I mean, I've I've successfully ignored testing uh, forever, and uh, now now that I am starting to see the value and all the things you can do with it, I'm actually excited about digging into this and messing around with it because uh, I get it now. <laughs> well, uh, once again, like specifications, maybe not work for every single scenario, but for example, like there is one code base at Locat that I kind of love adding features to that. Just because when I add a feature, I can also write uh, a nice little, uh, nice neat little story about that, which is my specification, and then I can just run the entire test suite, and I can see uh, hundreds of stories popping up in my unit when uh, unit test window, and each story it tells about something, it tells about unit use case, and just fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, obviously, but this doesn't work really well. Uh, I was trying to drag uh, bus- uh, like ad- uh, additional sales department and business people into reading these stories. Like, hey, this is how the system works. Here, here's this, how the system works. Uh, but apparently, uh, in the end, I got more involved on the business expression of this code than the business people. <laughs> so chasing business people with uh, actually, uh, what's the word? Hundred, uh, not hundreds, dozens of pages of exact technical documentation, which is always uh, up-to-date, which is always exact, uh, can be fun. Yeah, exactly. But they probably want the summary of like, here's the five things I care about. If these five things happen, show me a circle in those 12 pages where those five things are, and I, I assume all that other stuff is, you know, you care about it, but I'm not that worried about it. <laughs> so. well, actually, it's quite easy to implement as well. Uh, it's, this is a slightly more advanced topic, uh, but uh, you can scan the code, uh, and you can uh, find with reflection in C for example, uh, all commands and events of an aggregate. And for uh, so you can uh, have a, either HTML application or form application or a graph that says, okay, so we have the thing called factory. Uh, here's what can happen about this factory. Here's what this factory can do. Which methods are you in? Which uh, like which method are you? Which command are you interested in? And if user clicks on the command, uh, it will show you a set of stories that uh, can happen with this command. Uh, like, for example, uh, let's say we have big complex business system that includes a factory aggregate. So uh, when zooming into that system in fully automated and like easily implementationable way, uh, the user will see, in the user in this case is business person, they will see that the factory can have a story which is when assigned employee to factory. And he will see that this story ha- can have multiple use cases associated with that. It is, can be empty factory, uh, uh, fry is assigned to factory, vendor comes to an empty factory. And he said, oh, okay, so I'm really interested what happens uh, to a factory, like just because it's uh, cost us lots of lots of money before, when vendor comes to an empty factory. And when he clicks on that use case of a method, when assigned employee to a factory, he will see a story about that. Yeah, you you can. It's almost like those old choose your own adventure books that you can read and turn to page forty five to see what happens. You're letting them do that with their software and say, "You want to know what happens? Go ahead, <laughs> read the sto- read the story." Yep, yep, yep. And if a uh, business person gets really picky 
And if they say, okay, but I'm really, uh, like, you know, sometime before we had really this explicit behavior when uh, Fry comes, fa uh, Bender comes to factory and then uh, he's assigned and when Bender comes to a factory, we should actually look extremely uh, careful here because if we kick out uh, Bender, since Fry is his friend, uh, he'll leave the factory as well. Do actually implement this behavior and he can actually, like, compose the unit test for that. Uh, by picking the events out of the dictionary, uh, by uh, uh, putting, uh, filling in the command via some simple uh, interface, and submitting the and actually executing this aggregate behavior like on site, and if it fails or if it succeeds, he can submit it as a unit test that will be added to the code base later. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really cool way to manifest the the what if analysis of Excel in your domain. <laughs> it's awesome. Yes. Uh, so, like, once again, well, aggregates are one of the building blocks, one of the most important building blocks of uh, distributed systems, LLOCAD. And uh, we, uh, like, these elements are composed based on our language, based on the behaviors which we express with this language, uh, and also based on the implementations uh, into which we group our behaviors and these implementations are called aggregates. And we group these behaviors uh, like to these implementations uh, based on the fact that it will be much simpler to implement them using this way uh, because of their shared lifetime uh, concepts, because of their uh, shared uh, state concepts, and because of the uh, atomicity of the changes concepts. And also, when we uh, talk later uh, about the scalability things, uh, a single aggregate is actually our unit of scalability. Imagine we have extremely huge system and uh, we have factories that are so big that they're accepting uh, thousands of commands per day. Oh, sorry, per day. Per day is too easy. Yeah. Uh, thousands of commands per second. Uh, in such case, we can actually take this factory and put it on a separate server and have all the rest of the factories on a different server, on a second server. So uh, this factory will have a, uh, like a server of its own and the server maybe will be ba backed up. Uh, the server will be uh, hi highly fault tolerant and immediately replicating. And we'll, the server will also immediately write events to three different event stores for failover scenarios. And, and it's our unit of scalability because of the factory state in this case, right? Because though, because you you scale in the unit that can guarantee the consistency. Yes. 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 Okay. So a uh, factory is a unit in scal of scalability. And also, uh, if you were reading, and I highly recommend it to you, uh, Pat Helland's uh, paper on uh, life beyond DTC. Pat Helland was a guy who was uh, developing distributed transaction coordinator uh, for Microsoft, if I'm not mistaken. And this act was actually a thing that was managing a trans uh, like transactions across resources which are hosted by multiple resource managers, uh, managers and machines. So this was really complicated stuff, but that's how modern relational databases work, for example. Uh, take uh, or modern relational database that is used by a uh, service bus hosting some code uh, using MSMQ and additional uh, transactions. So this guy, uh, after working for some time with this technology, after actually developing this technology for Microsoft, he came to a realization that, sorry, this stuff sucks. <laughs> It doesn't just it doesn't uh, it doesn't really scale in the modern world. It is still a good technology, but if you're talking about uh, almost infinite scalability, 
when you're talking about elements that can be disconnected, when you're talking about real fault tolerance, when you're talking about ease of replication, then it doesn't fit in. And he was uh, talking about entities and identities and how they uh, live in eventually a consistent world where when something happens in one entity, uh, it will happen slightly later uh, in other entity as well. Uh, well, uh, guess what? Our aggregate will actually be an entity. Entity is uh, some item that has a unique name, that has a unique identifier within a certain scope. And no matter how this entity changes inside, no matter how it changes its properties, we will always know that uh, it is still the same entity because it has a unique ID. Like, for example, uh, identity for a person is its it is, like, for example, a national identifier. Uh, and generally, if this person changes its gender, it changes the haircut, the style, the color, address, still we'll know that it's the same uh, person because uh, his national uh, identifier is still the same. Uh, and so when we're talking about the aggregates, uh, eventually we might uh, use interchangeably entity and aggregate. Because each aggregate is an entity. Uh, and later on, we'll actually introduce the concept of identity, which is an aggregate identifier. Wait, an, ent an entity is an aggregate identifier? No, uh, no, no, no. Entity is something that has, uh, has a unique ID. Okay. And we can track this entity by, based on this uh, unique ID. Just like, we can, like how we can tra uh, track delivery based on the U uh, UPS code. Oh, okay. So, so when the when the aggregate implements the I identity interface or whatever that or entity interface, we're going to know that this particular aggregate can be identified by its ID. Yes. Well, uh, it's not exactly uh, aggregate doesn't exactly uh, implement I entity interface, but when we move forward, we will be uh, introducing a notion of identity to an aggregate and. Uh, in each command, we'll be including like uh, aggregate ID. We'll be sending each command to a specific aggregate. Uh, sending me uh, emails uh, late night saying, uh, hey, I finally figured out what this Yoda talk was about. <laughs> uh, you're sending this email to a person to my address. And later on in the distributed system, we'll be sending the commands to a specific aggregate. We'll be sending the commands, for example, to factory 1 or to factory 2. But uh, I guess that's slightly more advanced topic. No, it makes sense though. I, th I think for a second there, I was. Uh, well, no, I was thinking about because because I wasn't viewing an aggregate like a factory. You know, when you when you say it like a factory, you know, factory one and factory two, uh, that makes a lot of sense. But when I when I was thinking of, I think I was thinking about your email example. I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, there's Renat's only one person, so he has one identity. But his email, he has multiple emails, I guess. So maybe he has multiple instances of. His email. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, in this case, like uh, I am, uh, hopefully I'm unique. <laughs> However, uh, like there are lots of lots of other people which share the same behaviors. So, for example, if you send uh, the Yoda talk uh, email to a different person, like it will still uh, reply or do something. However, the reply might be different because uh, this imp implementation of a person uh, had different uh, state of and different interaction with you before. Got it. When I now it makes more sense. When I think of Renat as an, a particular instance of a person class, that makes sense because that because I sent that email to the ID of Renat, 
of a person, I know I what the expected response was, but some other impl- some other identified person wouldn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> yes, because okay. uh, they, they don't have a history of communication with you and uh, don't have a state that describes this uh, use case. I see. Okay, cool. That makes sense now. Okay, uh, so uh, for the homework, the idea would be for .NET guys, like uh, there are quite a few behaviors that are missing, uh, tests for which are missing from this uh, sample, and these behaviors, like these additional behaviors we were implementing uh, in episode 04, and so the homework would be actually to merge uh, your like the latest uh, samples into the, your homework repository, or just do it separately, and just uh, add a few more additional unit tests. These unit tests, they should read like a story. Uh, For non.NET guys, that might be slightly more uh, complicated, but uh, once again, like there isn't nothing uh, extremely complicated. Uh, uh, First step is to actually take this uh, pseudo framework in a few common lines of code out there. In C-sharp, that's 134 lines of code. Uh, And first, implement uh, our specification framework, which uh, all it does, it just uh, allows you to declare given when then. Then it takes uh, given events. Uh, Then it instantiates new factory state out of these events, just passing these events to the constructor. Then it creates new instance of factory aggregate, and pass it to the uh, newly constructed state. Uh, after that, this code, it just uh, executes the desired method, and afterwards it compares uh, the outcome with the, ex- uh, the outcome that we expect. So if we expected an exception, then this framework will actually uh, check if the executed code uh, throws an exception, and this exception matches uh, our conditions. Or if we expect events, then the code will check that our outcome, our event outcome matches to the events that were passed out. And then it prints passed or failed. Cool. And that'd be awesome if we start getting some other languages. I know that someone mentioned that they might be re-implementing these samples in VB.net and people got JavaScript or whatever else out there that you might be listening with. It'd be really cool to be able to see these same samples in different uh, language implementations. Yeah, and hopefully... Since we started code uh, from really simple aspects and like we're uh, gradually migrating, evolving that code to more production-ready uh, code, like it will be if uh, somebody is interested in taking one language and going it all the way through, it will be relatively simple to evolve the code, to evolve the samples, to evolve the understanding. And of course, if there are any questions, we'll try to help. Yep. Sounds good. And do we, uh, I haven't peeked on Trello, do you, do you have an idea of what we might be talking about next time or... Okay, so the next time, I think uh, initially I was planning JIT, but uh, at this point, I think we'll, we'll start by uh, your feedback on the homework, and then we'll just uh, jump straight into the application services. Yeah, because uh, in essence, just a quick hint, application service is actually the class uh, that accepts uh, commands, that listens to the commands, and that passes them to the uh, aggregate instance. Uh, however, uh, in this, like, the, if application service hosts aggregate instances, then it also has to deal with uh, event storage and loading and saving these aggregates from the persistent store and also maybe dealing with uh, all the potential concurrency conflicts and merging events. 
So uh, that's uh, a topic of its own. Cool. I look forward to that. I will get back to catching up here and get uh, episode four and five, uh, five's homework done, and and then we'll have some more to talk about next time. And we'll continue to look through your comments on there, and uh, when we can, we'll answer that uh, either uh, while we're recording or certainly on the website. So keep them coming. I think that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, any final words on use cases, specifications, aggregates? Mm, not pretty much. Well, just uh, a takeaway. Uh, specification is a way to test uh, aggregate behavior in our case, uh, and it is also a way to reassure us and everybody else that this aggregate way works as expected through all the changes that we'll, we'll be pushing uh, our aggregates through. Because later on we'll be talking about uh, making code and language more expressive, more explanatory, and we'll be changing aggregate implementations quite a lot. And that's where uh, our specifications will help us to stay sane and sure in the any changes. Cool. And I swear I did not try to keep you talking longer than an hour again, but we did. <laughs> so uh, it'll be yet another long episode, but uh, that's all right. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, the, like I said, this is the first time ever I've actually have a desire to go I guess te- the test that we're writing is technically still code, but it doesn't feel like I'm going to writing off the right, right code to, to implement something right away without doing tests. I actually want to use testing. So I'm excited about that. And I wasn't actually expecting us to get into how the tests relate to the aggregates. And I'm really glad we started talking about aggregates as well. Cause um, that's been a source of confusion for me for a while. So cool. Um, I think that'll do it. And we will uh, see you guys next time. And remember we're at uh, being the worst.com at being the worst on Twitter and being the worst on GitHub. Uh, I'll see you next time. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye guys. Good luck. Uh, may the force be with you. Are you still listening? Here's a little tangent that went on during recording. It may be a hint of what's to come. Uh, so I, I was thinking about you about the wrong type of class. I, I should have just classified you as a person to begin with. <laughs> well, as we uh, all are, a person is nothing more than a collection of uh, events that he lived through, and uh, they represent his personality. Well, this and a few you know, like uh, defaults that are hard coded in the genetic <laughs> uh, in the genetical sequences. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, you're starting to give me hints about uh, how we're going to start building artificial life forms, and don't get me started on that. I'll get too excited and want to change our entire domain to biological cells and aggregates of organisms and things like that. Well, actually, uh, neural network uh, makes it uh, potentially a nice aggregate, but there is a problem. There are actually two problems. Uh, implementing neural network as an aggregate is horribly inefficient. Uh, and second, uh, classical neural networks, the way they are perceived in uh, information technology, it's a really dumbed down representation of uh, mathematical representation of uh, biological neural networks because they miss a lot of lot of uh, crucial things like, for example, glia. Uh, that's a matter around the cells. Uh, actually, to be more precise, that's a matter around the connections between uh, axons and dendrites. Which uh, can uh, and there is like this uh, intercell space, which is called oh, I don't remember the exact space, but in this space, uh, uh, end of one cell, uh, it emits a chemical reaction, uh, chemical reagents. I think they're called mediators, and when they reach uh, the other cell, they're transformed into the impulse. And these mediators are they're transferred via biological matter called glia, and this glia can actually uh, be. Uh, 
considered to be a long-term memory because uh, based on all the chemicals that were passing to it, it can change its characteristics. Uh, long story short, uh, neural networks, the way they're usually implemented these days in the IT, they're really dumbed-down representations and they don't work uh, that well in a wide range of scenarios. So we well, as humans should feel real proud of ourselves right now because we're really complex. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, actually, this stuff is extremely simple. Uh, if you if you don't go into these uh, scientific papers and if you stay quite practical. And I added actually a module on machine learning uh, into this uh, roadmap of study because that's something that would be fun to talk about and that's something that is fun to write. Cool. And hopefully we'll get to that sometime later. Yeah, and that's going to be, machine learning is going to be way after we probably start actually answering some of the questions we're getting on the comments about, uh, or I forgot what some of the questions are off the top of my head, but yeah, the, we'll, we'll get to those questions probably way before we're implementing a Skynet and taking over the world robots and, and things like that. So, Well, actually, uh, what's the word? Uh, there was a running joke that, like with SecureS and event sourcing and ability to break down complex domains into some uh, rather simplistic uh, linguistical elements and then code them. Uh, that might be the way Skynet was started. Well, well, that would be fun. <laughs> Let's. That's probably. I'm guessing that's not in the first ten episodes. Skynet will. I, I can guarantee you right now. Skynet implementation will be at least after episode ten. <laughs> so. Terrific. <laughs> cool. 